Genesis chapter 9, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 18 through 29. I wanted to get into chapters 10 and 11, but chapters 10 and 11 kind of all flow together, and I didn't think we'd be able to cover it all. So Genesis chapter 9. Now, one of the questions that pops up a lot to me is, how do you know the Bible is real? And there's lots of answers. We could get into historical evidence. We can get into the spiritual evidence, etc. But one of the comments I always tell people when they ask, how do you know the Bible is real? Is I always say, well, you can always tell that mankind would never have written this. And tonight's a perfect example. We have been talking about Noah since chapter 6. Noah is described as perfect in his generations. Noah is this great man of faith. He's one of the big three, if you remember that, from a few weeks ago, when God singles out some of his great Old Testament saints. Noah makes the cut. Noah is this, we can go on and on about this wonderful man of faith. For 377 days, he's in the ark, he does all this stuff. Noah! And guess what happens in Genesis 9? Noah gets drunk and lies naked on the floor. Now, if mankind was writing the Bible, why would they have put that in there? Now, I know that's not a great argument, but I tell you, that's one of the things I always think about. Is if mankind was writing this, why after three chapters of building up Noah, and all these references in Hebrews, and and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, why all of a sudden would we throw this awful story in here of this old man passed out naked, drunk on the floor? Well, God in the Bible shows us in all of our glory and also all of our failures. Mankind is a sinful group of people. And you and I have both had amazing spiritual victories in our life, and that's what I wish we could focus on, but we've also had horrible failures in our life too. But you know what? God loves us through it all. So, right now here with Noah, we've had three chapters of building this guy up. He has a very human moment right now. Genesis 9, verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jepheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Jepheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be a servant. And Noah lived after the flood 360, excuse me, 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Once again, from a human standpoint, couldn't we have just kind of skipped over this? But it's there. And I'm sure you look back in your life, and you've had some Noah moments like that. We kind of wish you could skip over. Now, we have to talk about this, though, because this is what it comes down to. If you really look here in verses uh, 21, th- there's no way to downplay what Noah did. Now, I've heard many teachings on this, and I've heard almost what I call defensive teachings on this. Best one is, when well, Noah didn't know that that's what would happen. Because what had happened is, and, and maybe it's just true, that the earth had changed. You know, the earth had changed since post-flood. We've talked about this, that before the flood happened, the earth was watered with this mist, and that the earth did change after the flood. That is a fact. I've heard some people say, well, you know, Noah did not know this, and so therefore he wouldn't have understood fermentation, and we could kind of go on and on and on. Maybe that's true. Or maybe it's true that Noah planted that vineyard and had a drink of that stuff and said, boy, this tastes good. 
And he had two drinks of that stuff, and then three drinks, and four drinks. We don't know for sure. Either way, what happened is not good, and it's not good in any way whatsoever. There's not really a way to downplay it. So Noah became uncovered. That's a really interesting phrase there, and I looked at a lot of different translations in verse 21. This is what happens when you get yourself in this spot of the drinking and the drunkenness. You can quote me on this. You just do dumb things. You became uncovered. What did Noah do? How did it happen that way? We don't know. The idea is he started out fully clothed, got drunk, and ended up naked, passed out on the floor. That's Noah, the great man of faith. Built the ark for 120 years. Saved the world in some ways from the flood. Faith of Noah, Hebrews 11. Now he is drunk, passed out on the floor. I want to talk about this for a second. Can you go with me to Proverbs 23? Proverbs 23. Anytime we start getting on the subject of alcohol, it's such a touchy subject. It's a touchy subject because there are some people that have struggled with alcohol in the past and they've seen the dangers of it, they've seen the horror of it, and they don't know why anybody would ever want to have one drink again in their life. Then there's also the other people that say, well, you know what, the Bible says not to get drunk, but the Bible doesn't say I'm not allowed to drink. And really what we need to stop in here as we look at this is what we're seeing with Noah is we're seeing the side effects of behavior that just doesn't line up with scriptures. Going out and getting drunk, getting wasted is never going to be a good thing. And this is not a message about drinking. I want to make sure you know that. It's really a message about self-control. Because you may not struggle with drinking. Okay, your mouth may cuss like a sailor. Your, your mind may lust after every person that walks by. It's not about the drinking, it's about the self-control of knowing what we should or shouldn't do. And what happens is sometimes we get ourselves in a Noah moment, and then we catch ourselves and say, I'm never going to do that again. I had a friend that used to struggle with drinking, and he would go out every Friday night, get completely wasted, and I knew it. Saturday around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he was going to call me. Sound like death, hung over, and he would tell me, I'm never doing that again. Six days later, he would do the same thing again. See, look here at Proverbs 23, starting in verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Isn't verse 29 true? If you allow that alcohol or fill in the blank, anything else to control you, that leads to sorrow, contentions, complaints, wounds without cause doing dumb things that now you have not only the mental and the spiritual, but the physical scars to back it up. Verse 31, do not look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Anybody that's been around the drinking knows verse 33 is true. Your heart will utter perverse things. It's amazing what that stuff does. Verse 34, yes, you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That's the dangers of it. And Noah is there and it shows this to us. Now, once again, why is that story in there? You would kind of have to stop and say, Lord, isn't there a better way to kind of make a point to us? just want to share with you just a couple quick verses. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. You don't need to turn there in any way. Romans 15, 4. 
Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. God is basically saying in Romans, anything I wrote to you before, I wrote it so you could learn from it. You don't have to go out and experience getting drunk. You don't have to go out and experience that type of sin, self-control, lack of it, I should say. God says, I put these stories in there for you to know the dangers of it. You want to know the dangers of adultery? Check out David and Bathsheba. You want to know the dangers of drinking? Check out Noah. You want to know the dangers of your temper or stealing? Check out any of these Old Testament people. God says, I put it in there for a reason. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Basically, God is saying, I've put these things in here for you to learn from this, so you don't have to go experience it yourself. That's why these stories are in here. Why is this great man of faith left in this spot? Is to remind us, to show us the dangers of whatever it is. Once again, this is not a message per se on drinking. It's on whatever that is that takes away your self-control and it leaves you lying naked, passed out on the floor. That's not worth it. So there is that aspect. Now, we need to build on the spiritual part of this. But before we get on, any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered here thus far with that before we move on? Marv. They brought food with them on the ark. And if you remember, it said in earlier that uh, God told them to store up um, Genesis 6.21, You shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And with the assumption is, I believe one translation said, that it's also going to be food for you when you get off. So God planned ahead for that. Anybody else got anything before going? Ryan. Yeah, we, we did that a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember all of who overlapped who. But if you remember correctly, and I encourage you, go back to the study that we did, Genesis 5, I believe it was. And, and we put that up there, and I can't remember off the top of my head, Ryan, but you make a good point. Amazing how these, these people overlapped. These people overlapped. And I can't remember if Noah got all the way to Abraham, but I do remember Shem and Abraham were together. So I do, if I remember correctly, Abraham was at least around Shem who would have been on the ark, which is an amazing connection. Yeah, but these guys overlapped, and it's kind of an amazing story there. Anybody else got anything about this? Rose. And that's the thing is, and I, and I wish I could remember, but if you go back to Genesis 5, if I remember correctly, Adam lived to see nine generations. So Adam would have been able to have nine generations to impact of, let me tell you what it's like when I was created. You know? And so therefore, like you said, it would be passed on. And going all the way to Abraham there, that you would be able to have this connection. And maybe it was Isaac that went all the way to Shem. But anyway, there was a connection for, for hundreds of years of people that would have been on the ark. It's an amazing thing. All right, now we need to talk about this a little bit more because it's more than just Noah doing this. Verse 22, Ham comes in and sees him. Now that word Saul is a very interesting word. That word actually in the Hebrew means to gaze upon. It's not just walk in and say, oh my goodness, there's dad. It's walk in and there's dad. And what happens is Ham sees, Ham gazes upon and goes out in verse 22. And guess what Ham has to do? He has to tell everybody. 
See, now this is where it becomes very interesting, because now the study kind of switches here. We have Ham, who has to tell everybody what he saw, but you have Shem and Jepheth, who want to cover up everything. This is what happens. Very simple point. When sin has been presented to you, and somebody has done something stupid, you really have one of two options. You can be Ham, who can go around and tell everybody and make a big deal out of it, or you can be Shem and Jepheth, and say, I want to do the respectful thing. Now, by Shem and Jepheth covering it up, I don't want you to take that as saying, cover up sin, like let's hide it. No. What this means is this person is in the wrong. I want to go help them, put them in a state of where they should be. We have a tendency as Christians, when we start hearing about sins of other people, and we've joked about this a lot, we become very gossipy about it. But we disguise the gossip as, I'm just telling you so that way you can pray. And let me tell you all the juicy details so that way you can pray even better. And we have a tendency to do this. And it's amazing how prayer can really just be, you know what, could you keep Fred in prayer? Why? I don't know, just, just keep him in prayer. Or it can be, can you keep Fred in prayer? Because you know what he did last Friday? Let me tell you what he did last Friday. Turn, if you will, with me to Proverbs real quick. Proverbs 18.8. Proverbs 18.8. Because we've got to be careful about this as Christians. I'm going to be honest with you. The biggest gossips I've ever met are in the church. And it's amazing how as Christians we take a stand against certain sins, but yet there's certain things we also just kind of allow to happen. We have a lot of loose lips and tongues in the church, and we got to be careful about that. Proverbs 18, two verses here in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty truffles, and they go down to the inmost body. Now, that's kind of quite the interesting verse. And depending on your translation, it, it, words are a little different. If you've got good old King James, it talks about wounds. And what that literally means is the mouth is opening up, wanting to devour it. What this is saying, gossip tastes good. And when we hear it, even though we don't want to hear it, we like hearing it. It's like when somebody puts that candy dish out over the holidays and you walk by saying, I'm just going to grab one. And you grab one. And then 30 seconds later, you come back and grab another one. That's what it is. And we just don't have self-control when it comes to this type of stuff. Remember this verse. Keep your hand here in Proverbs 18.8. The words of a tailbearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down to the inmost body. Because there's another verse that goes with this. Go to Proverbs 26, please. Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26. Look at verse 22 of Proverbs 26. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down to the inmost body. Now, if you're quick to say, James, you just made us turn to read the exact same verse. Yes, I did. My point is always this. If God says this once, it's important. If he repeats himself twice, you better start paying attention. Within eight chapters, the Lord led Solomon to write the exact same verse twice. Why would that be? Because as human nature, we struggle with that. We, we are like ham. We come in, we see... And we have to tell somebody. We have to tell somebody. It's amazing how as a church we should do more praying than saying. We really need to pray more than say more. And if you really need to lift it up to prayer, you can be very vague. Because God who can read and know our minds and thoughts doesn't need to know all the details. If there's somebody who is in a Noah situation and they're just a mess, you can just say, can you just pray for them please? Now, what I do sometimes as a pastor is this. If somebody calls me up and says, hey, can you pray for this person? I'll say, do you want me to pray for anything specific? 
If they do, I'll pray that. If not, I'll just pray for the person. I don't need to know the details. we got to be careful. Proverbs 18.8, Proverbs 26.22. Do not let the words become tasty trifles that just go down and we devour and we like it. Ham saw it, gazed upon it, and had to go tell somebody. Shem and Jepheth came in and they helped. They covered up. Not covered up to, to hide it but they covered up to make it right. As a Christian, you will be presented with situations. You can either respond like Ham and tell everybody in the world, or you can be like Shem and Jepheth saying, what can I do to help make this right? Shem and Jepheth did the right thing. And Noah awakes, verse 24, and realizes what happened. Now, we have to mention this because if you study this out with other people, people may say something. Look at verse 24 one more time. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. I am not fluent in Hebrew. I don't claim to be. There are some people that say in that verse 24, that phrase, knew what his younger son had done. They said if you study that out, it looks like it, that Ham did more than just look upon Noah. That Ham went and did something else. And it's very vague. We don't know. We're not going to speculate. But obviously Noah woke up and said Ham did something. Was that something just telling everybody? Was that something more? We don't know. Noah says in verse 25, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be his brethren. Now, is this for interesting? Ham's the one that does the bad thing, but guess who gets the curse? Ham's son, Canaan. Now, why would that be? Because here's the point. Parents, when you walk in sin, your kids probably suffer more than you do. And it's amazing how when you got the dad that's the drunk and he comes home, he passes out, wakes up the next day, and his life kind of goes on. Kids got to see that. The kids are impacted by that. Parents sit there at home and their language is inappropriate, their actions aren't appropriate. They just move on with life. The kids see that. They think that's what it means. I tell you right now, as parents, when we walk in sin, it affects our kids more than anything that we could ever imagine. I'm not saying that to pick on anybody. I'm not saying that to kick anybody while they're down. Because I struggle with that myself. But what you see here with Ham, Ham's actions impacted his children. And what God is kind of saying here is, listen, Ham is a bad guy. That bad guy filters down to his kids. Now, before you start thinking these kids had no say in it, the Bible makes it abundantly clear, abundantly clear. And it's made clear, especially in the book of Jeremiah 31. And we don't have time to go there. But God makes it clear in Jeremiah 31. Just because the parents sin doesn't mean the kids are going to sin. Because some of you sitting here tonight are an example of the most dysfunctional of all dysfunctional households. And God still pulled you out of it. Because that's the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does, not what God does, because we're new creations in Christ. But, if you were raised in that dysfunctional, of all dysfunctional households, you know sometimes how hard it is to relearn past behaviors. You know how difficult that can be. The Lord can still bring you out of that. But we can't walk. I just heard somebody tell me the other day, they don't come out here, there was just somebody in the community, they were telling me about all the problems they have in life, and they told me how their parents had the same problem and their grandparents had the same problem. And I told them, it's not genetic. You've heard me joke about this out here a lot. People come and say, I have a temper. My dad had a temper. That's not genetic. You may have seen anger as a child. You may have seen a parent handle anger inappropriately. You still have a choice. You may have been raised in a home where alcohol was a problem. You still have a choice. Yes, it may be more difficult, but you still have a choice. You may have been raised in a home where women were treated horribly. Well, you still have a choice to treat them and respect them with honor. So, we have a choice. But what God is saying here is through Ham, is Ham, you're an awful guy. 
And guess what? Your kids are going to be awful kids because that's how you're raising them. And guess what happens in Genesis Genesis 10? We see Ham's kids, and guess what? They are awful. They're absolutely awful. Here's just a quick list of Ham's kids. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites. Now, if you've studied out Old Testament, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, guess who they battled? The Hittites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. We're going to see here in a little bit that Ham has this one kid by the name of Nimrod. And and he's an idiot. He, What happens is Ham, his behavior impacted generations, and these people were a bad group of people. And that's why they ended up having to be judged, is because they were cursed. So Canaan, as a son, is not necessarily cursed. What God is saying is this generation, these descendants, are just going to keep on making these awful decisions, and eventually that's the type of people they are. You hate to be stereotypical, and you hate to be judgmental, but you probably all know families that generation after generation after generation, they just kind of keep repeating the same awful behavior. They need Christ to get in there and break that. That's what they need. Ham, that's exactly what happened here with his generations. Noah, through the Lord, says this is what's going to happen. So they're cursed, but then what does he say in verse 26 and 27? Shem is blessed, Jephthah is blessed, and we'll get into that next week in Genesis 10 as we see the blessing that happens. How simple is this? Noah screwed up. There's no way to defend this. There's no way to downplay it. He's passed out drunk, naked on the floor. That's not what a man of God should be. I don't know what your thing is, but we all have that thing that can bring us down and make us like Noah like that. God give us self-control not to do it. Now, that's the first point. The second point is when we run into other people that are in that Noah situation, how are we going to respond? Are we going to be ham? That we're going to leave, tell everybody the tasty trifles of gossip and pass it around, mock it, make fun of it, gaze upon it? Or we're going to be Shem and Jepheth, respectively come in and say, I want to help you in this situation. I want to cover you. Ham, his actions brought a curse. Shem and Jepheth, their actions brought a blessing. And you know what? It still continued today. That's the beauty of doing the right thing. You will never go wrong in doing the right thing. I tell you, no one wants to be Noah. The man or woman of God that gets themselves caught up in that situation. That's what the kids remember. That's what the people see. We don't want to leave that legacy. We want to leave the legacy of being a blessing of that godly man, that godly woman, godly generations. And maybe it's not the kids that you have. It's just friends and family. Whatever you're around, what example are you leaving there? And that's what we want to do. You may have any final questions, comments about this before we kind of close up here real quick. A little bit different study since we're done with the flood now. Now we can kind of move on. Next week, Genesis 10, we're going to get into these different generations that are left. And we're also going to try to, Lord willing, time willing, do Genesis 11, which is a great story there on the Tower of Babel, which really then sets us up. It's hard to believe we're only two chapters away from introducing Abraham as we continue our study here through the book of Genesis. Alrighty, any final questions, comments before it goes up? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why when they shall be a servant, that's exactly what happens. If you go study out the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is Joshua leading the Israelites to conquer the Canaanites. And they are then conquered, and they're an evil group of people. And before you start sitting here and start thinking, well, that's just not fair, God gave the Canaanites hundreds of years to repent. Hundreds of years. They chose not to. And what happened is the Canaanites were destroyed, and if they weren't destroyed... They did exactly what it said there in verse 25. They became the servants. That's exactly what happened. Anybody else have anything before we close up?
Alrighty, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you now, Lord, I just want to pray for anybody out there that may be struggling, that um, may have a Noah moment, where there's something that just kind of brings them down, there's something that just, just wipes them out. I just pray for whatever sin they're struggling with. I pray in the name of Jesus, you'd give them strength, you'd give them comfort, you would uplift them, and I pray to bring people under life just to be a, an encouragement to them. Lord, help us to not walk in the path of Ham. When we see sin that we would want to help, we would want to cover, we would want to be there. When we're around that gossip, Lord, just uh, bind our ears, bind our tongue that we may not get involved with it, but to really be people of prayer, to be people of encouragement. And Lord, I just also want to thank you too for being a God that can come into households that are a mess and you still can promote grace and mercy and you can pull people out of patterns of destructive behavior. Thank you for that, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Alrighty. You guys have a good week and God bless. And we'll see you next week.